Welcome to the arena, where sometimes the hardest part is showing up. My name is Linda McLaughlin. Thank you for being here. As I'm recording this, the U.S. electoral process marches on. Days after the 2020 election, votes are being counted and the vitriol continues. The fallout may be felt for years to come in workplaces, in families and friendships. What is the remedy? How will we find common ground? My guest, Tarek Munib, asked himself these questions four years ago at the beginning of the Trump presidency. I felt it was important to speak to him now. Thank you for listening. This is episode eight. Great to meet you. Yes. <laughs> nice to meet you. Interesting times we live in. Most definitely, especially interesting times for this particular conversation. It's my great pleasure to meet you because I've been following this story for a little while and was moved by what you're trying to achieve through the film that you've done and the various initiatives that you've undertaken. It's the day after the U.S. election in 2020, and we don't have a result yet. Right. Regardless of who becomes president and which side wins, there is so much work to be done. Let me start with the introduction, and then we can jump into the conversation. Tarek Munib has an important mission. He is a Canadian born to Egyptian parents. He grew up in Halifax and then studied engineering at Carleton University. He is a successful entrepreneur, having started multiple software businesses. And a few years ago, he saw the world, and particularly the U.S., becoming increasingly intolerant. He felt he had to try to make a difference. He reduced his role to part-time in order to focus on creating projects that contribute to the well-being of humanity and bringing people of various backgrounds and cultures closer together. One of these projects was the creation of Kindness Films, who produced the documentary film Free Trip to Egypt. I have watched this film several times, and each time I come away with something more. Welcome. It's great. It's, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for that introduction. I think a good place to start is four years ago, November 2016. I think that was when I was living in Switzerland at the time. I was following American media very closely and was really disturbed by a lot of the hate and the vitriol and the polarity that I was seeing. And I realized I was starting to become afraid of the United States, especially being someone of uh, Arab origin and the statements I was hearing were scaring me. And I realized it was actually making me into someone I didn't want to be. I was becoming more afraid, more restrained. And, and I, I realized, you know what, I don't want to live in fear. But I also don't want to become aggressive. So I was really reflecting, is there, a, is there another way? And then I just had this inspiration. What if I went to the very people that I thought were afraid of me and offered them something kind? And then the idea came, well, why don't I offer them a free trip to Egypt and, and have a conversation with them? And that was the whole beginning of the inspiration for, for the film, Free Trip to Egypt. I didn't go in really with a mission. I did not go in with a preconceived outcome. It was an exploration. It was a genuine curiosity. Would human connection outweigh political or religious difference? What happens if I meet people face to face? I didn't know the answer. I think with that intention, it opened up 
a lot of magical possibilities. And that's how the film was born. Hmm. What did you learn through that process? And what were the surprises that you experienced along the way? It was a very bumpy ride. I think the first thing was you need to recruit people. You need to find people. And by nature, we wanted to take the people that didn't want to go right? By nature of this endeavor, you didn't really want to take someone, oh, wow, Egypt's lovely. I would love to go there. That wasn't the point. The point was to find people who are like, "Ah, that's a weird country, or I don't trust those people, etc. So trying to find someone who would go that doesn't want to go was was obviously a bit challenging. But in the beginning, what, what really shocked me was when I started posting this on social media, on YouTube, uh, requesting people to come, was the hate that came back. Mm. It wasn't like, no, thank you. It was like, are you crazy? I wouldn't go there. I don't want to be beheaded. It was really shocking stuff. And it really was quite depressing, actually, because I thought, oh, my God, have we come to this point that there's absolutely no trust in the world anymore? Have we really reached that point where we stop talking? Because I think as long as we're talking, there's hope, right? As soon as we stop talking, there's no more hope. So I, I got quite depressed. But then when I traveled to the United States and then physically went on the street randomly speaking to different people, that's when the shift occurred in me. And we went to places from Manhattan to to Louisville, Kentucky, to Florida, to a Trump rally, just speaking to all sorts of diverse people. And as soon as you speak to somebody face-to-face, human-to-human, even if they have these ideas that you consider radical, there's a big difference because you can discover the humanity of it. And my biggest insight was really that there are so few bigoted people in the world. This is really something I believe in. I met them. They're there. And truly bigoted people, I I don't feel I have any access to. They don't look at you. They don't really listen. They're just springboarding off of stuff you say. They're hostile. They're completely closed. But those people are very few. The majority of people are not like that. And the challenge is that sometimes the people who are genuinely good-hearted might use similar language that an ordinary person might find bigoted. And this is where discernment comes in, where you just can't turn away from somebody because they have a certain view. And then that's when I realized, okay, there's no idea in itself that's threatening to me. So I can just be at peace. And that piece in me made it easier for me not to be reactive. So I was actually able to listen to people. And when they would say things that I would think, whoa, I would just listen. And then it enabled a certain dialogue and a connection. And from that, we managed to find people who were for the Muslim ban, who wanted to build a wall, who were against immigration, who had all these things. We managed to connect to these people and bring them to Egypt, have a conversation And I'm not sure any of us, our political views changed, but what was radical in me, this was another shift, is that instead of before, what I would think is that I would have to convert people to the path of tolerance. I would have to somehow get them to think like me before we have peace in the world. And what I realized that's very arrogant. And and, and that actually, we don't have to change each other's political and religious and other beliefs. We can actually find a way to connect and still respect each other. 
And, and that was a very powerful discovery for me. And that then launched the Pledge to Listen movement mm-hmm. and, and things of that sort, where we were slowly doing our part to not look at people with competing, conflicting political or religious views as hostile. And it's been very inspiring to actually be able to sit in a room and converse. What in your upbringing prepared you for getting to this moment where you've got a nice life, you're living in Switzerland, you're running a few companies, and suddenly you decide you're going to make a major shift in your life and take this on as something, as a mission. And not everybody's prepared to do that. Not everybody's prepared to step into the arena and really stare down something that a lot of us are grappling with. We're all grappling with this. Do I step into that conversation or try and shift somebody's thinking? There are so many people who it's just, oh, it's too tiring. It's too exhausting. It's too hard. Was there a role model or someone in your family who modeled that behavior for you? I think that there's a lot to unpack in that. It's a very good question. The first thing is, I don't think I'm on a mission, hmm. right? So it's hard to answer the question. <laughs> what, what makes you go on this mission? I don't feel I'm on a mission. I don't feel, if I felt I was on a mission to bridge these polar opposites and to create harmony in the world, I would go insane. <laughs> I just can't do it. I'm not yeah. there for that. I can't do that. I, I don't think the world needs me. I'm one person. The world somehow has more powerful forces at work and, and harmony will be created. I feel voluntary. It's something I choose to do because it brings me peace. It triggers my curiosity. It's something enjoyable. So I don't feel responsible or on a Mm. mission or those things. And I think that makes it a lot more lighthearted for me. I'm just curious. Like when people would throw all these hateful comments on my Facebook page when I offered the trip, the nice thing about Facebook is you're not anonymous. So I would trace back, I would go to these people's pages and I would study them and their families and and I would find really lovely, kind people with these beautiful children and this all-American this and just wonderful people. And yet they were so hateful towards me. And and I just found that fascinating. So I, I went with a sense of curiosity. And I think with my upbringing, because I was born in, in Canada, I was spending the summers in Egypt. I think it's it's like when you become bilingual or multilingual, it's the same. You become multicultural in the sense that you understand the culture. So I could understand Egyptian culture. I could understand and love both cultures, the Canadian culture. And I had Italian friends and, you know, Canada is very multicultural as well. So I felt I was always kind of swimming between all these cultures. So I understand the language and I mean the cultural language of what people are saying. In my mind, I'm thinking, guys, you're not so far apart. You don't need to be afraid of this person. So I just felt I have the translation ability and someone asks, can you translate for me? So sure. So I'm in that role of a translator, bridge builder, but without feeling accountable for better or for worse. Maybe it's because I'm just too afraid or whatever, but that's kind of the sense of it, not trying to change people, et cetera. And then that's when the Pledge to Listen movement came out. And then tens of thousands of people have joined us in that, and we've been facilitating conversations. And then recently, one of our partner organizations is actually called Millions of Conversations. 
And they organized a screening of the film about a year ago. At the time, they were just launching. And, and now they wanted to take their conversations to a next level. So I'm partnering with them because it needs more of a grassroots organizational structure and bringing just the people together independent of political views, religious views that just want and believe in our ability to converse and connect, especially with the charged election that we're going through or the Americans are going through, but let's face it, the whole world, we're going through it together. We need to start looking at the other side differently. Personally, I don't like to express my political views because I'm, I'm usually bringing people together, but you can be like one of the first people to hear that. Obviously, I do not like the message that President Trump gives to people in terms of the divisiveness and, and things of that sort. What I'm realizing is we have to understand there's a difference between Trump and Trump supporters. I remember four years ago, there was a staggering number of Trump voters who just voted for Trump, but said they believe he's unfit to be president. I think a lot of the racist sentiments or the divisiveness that Trump says in his tweets, if you think that the 60 some million people who voted for him are voting for that, you're gonna go crazy because it's a very scary thing. But the reality is we as human beings, when we back a candidate for a certain reason, all of us, we turn a blind eye to certain things. For better or for worse, most of these people do not vote for him because of the things he says. They vote because they're staunch Republicans, the gun rights, all these other things. And that's an important thing to note because then you can still have a conversation with them. It's not the end of the world. And do I prefer a leader that unites? Of course I do. Do I prefer someone who makes us less polar? Of course I do. But the answer to polarity is not polarity. The answer to anger is not anger, right? And I think the more polarity that's injected in the world, the more centered we have to be, the more relaxed we have to be, and not passive, but just strong. And, and this is what the whole journey of the film taught me. I don't have to abandon my political views. You don't have to abandon yours. And ironically, that's where true transformation and connection can come. But if I'm angry at you and saying, how can you support such an idiot? Who are you? And all this stuff, you're not going to get anywhere. And we're not going to make the world better. So the conversation you were referring to was a conversation where we had the staunch Trump supporter with Persian American activist who had a son who is three years old, African American son. And we talked about Black Lives Matter, right? That's was the, the topic. And it was very painful to hear the Trump supporter say, I don't believe there's any racism in the country. It's very painful to hear that. I could have yelled at him, I could have ended the conversation, and that wouldn't have got us anywhere. The unbelievable discomfort. I remember the chat was going wild with people making comments and saying this and that and very sort of typical polarization. And I just wanted to disconnect and just drop out of the, the conversation. I, I was getting so charged up and I just thought, wow, what is the point? And 
I think we had that difficult conversation. We did not coalesce as a group. We did not find common ground in the end. But all of us who managed to stay for the hour, we all felt something, we did something great and important. Holding this tension of conversation somehow shifted something on some level. And that is, I think, what we need to do more of, is holding these tensions and going through these difficult conversations. This is what I feel inspired to do. I was so taken with what Mary said. It's so important to really get comfortable with that discomfort and hang in during that discomfort and not step away from or retreat to your corner in the midst of that conversation and just hold the space and deeply, deeply listen to the person you are engaged with. And as a listener, somebody whose only responsibility in that moment was to listen, I felt that it was my responsibility to truly lean into what Adam was saying and to what Marriott was saying and you as, as the facilitator. And it was incredibly powerful to be there and to be a part of that. And so I've thought about that conversation for months Mm. and I've told people about your film repeatedly because it really has held my imagination, my desire to show up differently in light of Black Lives Matter, in light of the George Floyd murder and every murder, Breonna Taylor, on and on. And to really figure out how, as a white person, I can behave differently and to show up differently. I realize you don't want to accept the the idea that you're on a mission or that somehow it's your responsibility that you would like to wear the mantle a little lighter than that. But just understand that you are making a difference and that you are reaching people in a significant way. So thank you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. What would you do on your last day? An answer came to me, but that, but the, which I thought was a joke, but it's not a joke. I was, breathe. And I'm not saying that flippantly. I think the greatest joy of life is breathing, but we don't know that simply because we're always breathing. If you were eating pizza 24-7, I don't think you're going to like pizza anymore. And I think it's the same way with breathing. I think it's probably the most enjoyable aspect of life. It is life itself. So if I knew it's my last day, really enjoy every last breath that I'm breathing. We're here to really enjoy and inhale life to its fullest, but leave the world a little tiny bit better. That's my my philosophy or belief. Hmm. That's profoundly beautiful. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? The U.S. election is a source of a lot of anxiety for a lot of reasons, regardless of the side you're on, actually. And I think it's really important, and I'm telling myself because I was watching the election with a lot of anxiety as well. I, I think it's just important to hold on to the optimism. Hold on regardless of who is going to win, regardless of what's going to happen, that there are billions of us that want to see goodness in the world, that want to see a better world. And I think if we look at the trajectory of humanity, 
we're actually doing quite well. We're not so badly off. The one example I always like to think about is the millennial goals that the United Nations established many years ago. It's the first time in history that the entire world came together and said, how can we reduce hunger? How can we reduce poverty? How can we increase our children's health? It's phenomenal that as an ent entire world together, thinking about our entire world, that's really beautiful. And even more beautiful than that, most of the millennial goals were met. We reduced hunger, we reduced child mortality, all these things, except in the countries where there's war. So we still have work to do, but I think there's still a lot of good that we as humans are doing and the world is getting better. And it's just important to breathe in some optimism in these trying times. Thank you so much. I think this was a perfect message on this day, listening to you and getting these words of deep wisdom, enjoying that breath, enjoying that moment of peace and belief that this is a moment that we're living through, mm. but there are many more moments to come that are reasons for us to keep going and reasons for us to keep striving for that understanding and Deep listening is certainly at the core of it. I look forward to watching your work and participating in it as well. Thank you. Thank you. It was a wonderful conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. Tark's film, Free Trip to Egypt, can be viewed online. I will share it with you in the show notes. I will also share a link to Pledge to Listen, which was referenced in our conversation. It is not easy to just listen and stay with it. As Tark said, the answer to polarity is not polarity. A willingness to stay curious and sit with the discomfort will be essential in bridging the current divide. How many of us are willing to take this pledge? Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. And if you feel someone else might benefit from listening to this podcast, please share it. Leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to sharing a special Remembrance Day episode on November the 11th. Join me in honoring the men and women who have pledged their lives to serve this country at home and in the many conflicts around the world, past and present. Until next time, I'm your host, Linda McLaughlin in The Arena. <laughs>